Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. The Biden administration has put the incoming Netanyahu cabinet on notice, tried to make good on the election campaign pledges of right-wing and religious parties, and bear the consequences in your relationship with Washington. Settlement activity, annexation, unjustified lethality, and various other activities associated with the harder line toward Palestinians will put Netanyahu in a collision course with President Biden and his Democratic Party. Meanwhile, the Pentagon is emphasizing its ties with the Israel Defense Forces. So can the relations between Americans and Israelis be professionally warm while politically cold? To explore this issue, we're joined by Colonel Miri Eisen, who is a TV7 Powers and Play co-panelist and Israeli public diplomacy security and intelligence expert at ICT at Reichman University. Thank you for joining us, Colonel. Shalom. Also joining us is Mr. Robert Silverman, who is a lecturer at Shalem College and former president of the American Foreign Service Association. Thank you for joining us as well, sir. Delighted to be here. Thank you, Jonathan. Indeed. And with us here in the studio is our TV7 editor-at-large and host of Watchmen Talk, Powers and Play, and so much more. Mr. Ogan, the Israel-U.S. relations have always been strong to a certain degree. Nevertheless, there were fluctuations over the years. Are we reaching an all-time low if uh, we're going to see the incoming government here in Jerusalem staying true to its election pledges? We are very fortunate uh, to have with us, um, in addition to Miri Eisen, uh, a veteran foreign service officer um, like Bob Silverman, because um, he will surely... Uh, agree that it's not um, diplomatically uh, the usual turn of events uh, not to wait for a new government to be set up and then uh, try uh, to uh, have uh, a dialogue with it, but uh, try to uh, intercept uh, it even before uh, it's with us. And this is um, uh, evident in what uh, Secretary of State uh, Blinken and others have done uh, over the last uh, week or so. So there were several events. The most important one was uh, Blinken's decision to address the J Street event. J Street is the more liberal Jewish American group as opposed to APAC, which is center right, used to be Uh, totally bipartisan, but now uh, it is identified uh, in American politics uh, with more with the Republicans and in Israel more with the uh, Likud. So Secretary Blinken decided to address J Street. This is a message in itself. And then the content of what he said was to put a marker before the new government. Do's and don'ts. The uh, two-state solution, the measures which you uh, uh, already enumerated, uh, don't annex, don't uh, try uh, for new settlement activities and and all of that. Also, uh, while saying that the focus is going to be on policies, not personalities, 
there was uh, an obvious attempt, first of all, to prevent Bezalel Smotrich from becoming defense minister, and then to say that if Itamar Benvir is indeed the new minister, now it's not uh, internal security, now it's national security, then the rules of engagement regarding how um, border police under Benvir will open fire on Palestinians, they should not be loosened. Now, uh, Blinken also appointed Hadi Amr, um, a middle-ranking State Department official, to a new position, which is virtually the first ambassador to Palestine. It is called a special representative, and uh, he is going to operate both out of Washington and as a traveling uh, diplomat here until the new the consulate general is uh, newly opened in East Jerusalem. So there you have the making of, as you said, a collision course with the Netanyahu government. If Netanyahu is pressed by his uh, new partners to make good on their pledges. Indeed. Well, it does seem, uh, of course, there is always on a more diminished level, but it does seem that the Biden administration is actively meddling in the formation of this government. Uh, and uh, Mr. Silverman, I'd like to hear your take on this. Of course, uh, we did read also in the Jewish Insider and different uh, uh, papers, the, the uh, statements made by uh, Ambassador Tom Knights here in, in Israel, uh, the American ambassador, uh, who said outrightly, uh, I spoke with Netanyahu several times since uh, uh, winning uh, the, the popular vote here in Israel, of course, within the composition of a, a parliamentary election. Uh, and uh, he did seem to voice concerns about the defense ministry, as Mr. Olin just stated, with regard uh, to potentially having uh, a defense minister who will most likely be regarded as a persona non grata in Washington. Is this uh, highly likely? I don't think so, Jonathan. I think that uh, both sides have professionals, uh, the U.S. side, the Israeli side, who know how to manage this relationship very well. I, I take on board what Amir is saying, the warning signs, but that's pretty normal. I mean, the U.S. Uh, playing in Israeli politics, domestic politics is certainly not new. Uh, I recall when Ambassador Martin Indyk uh, was very public uh, supporting Shimon Peres for uh, prime minister in 1996. Of course, Shimon Peres lost that election to Netanyahu. But uh, I mean, that was, it's not new. Uh, and by the way, Israelis also uh, reciprocate from time to time, as we saw when Prime Minister Netanyahu went to Washington at the request of the um, opposition party and spoke to uh, Congress, who was invited by the Republicans during the Obama administration. So both sides playing each other's politics, that's normal. Um, there are some concerns uh, with the, the emerging Israeli government. And uh, and at the same time, I read the uh, Blinken statement uh, to the J Street conference a little bit differently than our friend Amir. Uh, Blinken started out emphasizing the continuities in the relationship. Um, let's recall, first of all, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu was prime minister for the entire eight years of the Obama administration. He's extremely well known. He knows how to work with the Americans. Um, he will be in charge of the foreign policy of Israel. And he's going to make that clear. Now, his coalition partners or his coalition partners. 
He doesn't completely control them. Uh, this is, after all, a, a democracy here, and it'll be an interesting uh, ride, I'm sure, for him. But he he's going to uh, he knows how to manage uh, coalitions, and he's going to be in charge, of, particularly of the relationship with the United States. Um, so uh, Blinken emphasized the strong military relationship. Let's not forget it was during Obama administration. Uh, that they signed this 10-year MOU, providing $3.3 billion a year of military aid. Uh, Blinken started out talking about that. Uh, the uh, Blinken administration, uh, I'm sorry, the Biden administration has embraced the Abraham Accords now and has, has started their own initiative underneath it called the Negev Summit. Uh, the U.S. convened in March uh, Morocco, Bahrain, UAE, Egypt, and Israel together. Jordan, by the way, was interestingly not there. But uh, and Blinken uh, uh, told the J Street crowd that we're going to double down on this Negev summit and, and this initiative. So there are some positives there. That, on the negative side, I would note that there is some opening now on Jerusalem. And as Amir noted, this idea that they're somehow going to have a consulate in the heart of Jerusalem dedicated to the Palestinians. But here's the rub. It's not going to happen. Uh, the United States has not recognized the state of Palestine. You cannot accredit diplomats to a country you haven't recognized, to a state, a government. So any diplomats in Jerusalem that are uh, working on Palestinian affairs are actually accredited in diplomatic terms to the state of Israel. They're not accredited to a Palestinian authority. They have, they enjoy the hospitality, diplomatic immunities, and all the privileges of diplomats who are accredited to the state of Israel. So if any government of Israel, including the Yair Lapid government, said no to reestablishing a consulate in Jerusalem, uh, that is, uh, you know, a consulate to another place, the Palestinian Authority, um, that's just not going to happen. So uh, let, me ask, States, let me ask Bob, Bob, it's, it's uh, yeah. a very interesting piece of information uh, which uh, rarely has been uh, talked about. When Israel occupied Jerusalem, East Jerusalem, in 1967, it found yeah. the consulate general, which was at that time accredited to the Jordanian government. And uh, are you, uh, well, um, Blinken al also uh, mentioned that uh, the uh, first um, consulate in Palestine, no, I'm sorry, this is Hadi Amr. Hadi Amr, when he spoke about his new role, said, uh, uh, as long as the as long ago as the 19th century, we had this uh, uh, consulate uh, in uh, Jerusalem. So what happened right. before 1967? Who were these uh, diplomats accredited to? Right. So that's a good, great question. You have to go back and understand U.S. policy. Um, U.S. policy never recognized Jordanian sovereignty over Jerusalem or Israeli sovereignty over Jerusalem, and, and it recognized the U.N. Um, plan of November 1947, in which Jerusalem was an international city. And uh, so that was the that was the U.S. policy, uh, including during the time I served in that consulate, by the way, in, in the 1990s. So we were holding Jerusalem as an issue to be solved between the parties. In the meantime, we were adhering to uh, an, an old-fashioned um, uh, concept that Jerusalem would somehow be internationalized and run by the UN. Well, good luck. That never happened. In right. practice, uh, Amir, in practice, the U.S. diplomats, including me, when I served in the 1990s, were accredited to the state of Israel. That was the reality, uh, and that remains the reality. 
Um, and so when Trump, by the way, the bipartisan Congress long ago told the administration that that should we need to change that policy and recognize Israel's actual control and sovereignty over the entire city of Jerusalem and passed a law that required that, that gave the president a, a waiver authority to waive that. The Every president waived it every six months in the letter to Congress until Trump came along and said, I'm going to stop the waiver and we're just going to go ahead and move the embassy to Jerusalem, which they've done, which recognizes the reality on the ground. Uh, so. So, and Mr. Yes, Mr. Silverman, uh, I'd like sorry. to I, I'd like also to bring uh, Colonel Eisen into uh, the discussion yes. as we're already halfway through, um, and okay. I'd like to take this opportunity to also uh, highlight that uh, Secretary Biden did emphasize that the United States will continue to regard Jerusalem as the capital of the state of Israel. However, in contrast, he also highlighted the fact that uh, they need to recognize the Palestinian relation to the city, uh, and also ultimately uh, emphasized the necessity to bring about uh, the, the internationally aspired two-state solution. Uh, so I, I'd like to ask Colonel Eisen, uh, to what degree do you see this uh, as, on the one hand, recognizes real, recognizing a certain reality on the ground, then recognizing a separate narrative, and then uh, bringing about aspirations uh, for the future that the United States hopes to achieve. How do you see that actually uh, conform with, with the upcoming Israeli government, which does not recognize any of that except for the first part? So the discussion until now is so fascinating because usually when we are Israelis, we don't actually talk about Jerusalem, not in the way that you do from the United States with all of the, you know, caution that I heard from you, Bob. But when we're talking about Jerusalem, let's remind everybody, 950,000, a third, over a third, East Jerusalemites under Israel, not citizens. And I want to state it clearly that when Secretary Blinken, when we are talking about President Biden, when we're talking about the Democratic Party, but for that matter, when I'm talking about the United States of America, you still need to acknowledge that third of Jerusalemites, that 350,000 people who are there and do not have a status. And I say that clearly. The government that you're talking about, Jonathan, right now, where you have at the least one, if not two, very central ministers in the being. The, I don't know what they will be at the end, and we're going to live that one out here, but that have made in their own parties clear-cut statements that do not acknowledge or recognize that 350,000 people as having any kind of status, that is the growing gap. And when I talk about that gap and when you're giving the different quotes from the J Street Conference, let's be clear. It's not just diplomacy. It's not just about policy. This is also about the public diplomacy arena because we may still have the United States of America. I certainly think President Biden who is looking at Israel, understands the security issues, understands the centrality of Jerusalem, of Zion in Zionism, but that growing gap in public diplomacy, in the arena that both acknowledges a Palestinian side, understands that there are hundreds of thousands of people just in Jerusalem. I haven't mentioned the other ones that 
have very challenging statuses, that these are things in the public diplomacy arena where you see the growing gap, which is not necessarily policy and, and the governments, but it very much will be about how people relate to Israel and to um, this government, and I'm waiting to see what their terminology will be about the Palestinian arena. Um, Israelis do not call the Palestinian arena Palestine. That's already a gap between um, um, Israelis and some of the Democratic Party, certainly in the J Street arena that already talks that way. So we're looking at gaps here that are not just in policy of diplomacy, but in the public diplomacy. And that's the one where I see much more challenges along the way. That growing gap, which is one that most Israelis don't acknowledge, and most specifically, the new Israeli government, because of the policies that they've been very open about, very clear about, doesn't matter if I agree with them or not, but they've been very clear about them, the policies that have to do with Jerusalem, with the capital of Israel, or as we say, Yerushalayim, because that's the way it's going to be said. When we talk about the way that they view the future of the city, let alone the lack of acknowledgement to the Palestinian side, that's where we're going to see the growing gaps. Indeed. Mr. Owen, I'd like to hear your take on this as well. But uh, from a broader perspective, when we're looking at the current construct of geostrategic um, landscape, the United States is winning to a certain degree vis-a-vis -vis China, vis-a-vis -vis Russia, because of its robust uh, network of uh, partners and allies around the world. Israel is obviously unique in that in the Middle East, where it is very clearly uh, siding with the United States. Uh, do you see this being alienated to a certain degree if there is suddenly a certain reality like what happened in the uh, Obama administration, where it started to alienate the Egyptian government, which ultimately turned elsewhere and started like Samir Shukri, the foreign minister at the time, highlighted, or still the foreign minister for that matter, uh, we're not going to put all of our eggs in one basket anymore. We're moving some of the eggs that we put on the United States to Russia and China. Well, Israel uh, does not have a Chinese option um, or a Russian option uh, for that matter. It has, but it doesn't consider those. Well, it's it's not sure that the other side uh, would reciprocate. So uh, it doesn't really matter, even if it's um, uh, theoretically possible. Um, in Syria, of course, Israel has this uh, deconflicting uh, mechanism with Russia. But other than that, and other than uh, heeding some Russian calls not uh, to support the Ukraine too much, other than that, obviously, Israel is only doing um, the American bidding. However, in your introduction, you juxtaposed the professional and the political. Right. And while uh, professionally, if you take the uh, U.S. defense establishment, it appreciates and even admires its uh, Israeli um, counterparts, the uh, Israeli defense forces and the intelligence community. Um, perhaps there is no other um, community. You, you may consider the British, the Australians, perhaps the Germans, but uh, Israel uh, doesn't have uh, any competition in, in the esteem uh, felt by the uh, U.S. defense and intelligence community. But having said that, the two top echelons 
um, in any administration are staffed by presidential appointees. And they, of course, um, execute uh, the president's policy. And uh, we have um, a, a very fresh lesson from the um, late Obama administration when Netanyahu, as Bob uh, mentioned, went to Capitol Hill uh, to work against the uh, incumbent, um, the uh, relations between the Pentagon and Hakiriyah, the Israeli equivalent of the Pentagon, were cooled by presidential decree. And this could also happen here. Colonel Eisen, I'd like to uh, revert back to you. Is there a separation between the political to the, the practitioner's angle? Uh, does the defense establishment in Israel, which is so vital for Israel's security considering the landscape of our region, uh, able to remain separate from the political? I don't know that it remains separate, but I absolutely think that it has an enormous importance and continuity. It's not just what Amir was talking about, the admiration. We're talking here about professional capabilities that have been exchanged, deepened, and they were deepened at the exact same time of those eight years of the Obama administration of what um, Amir was mentioning before. Those are the eight years where the United States and Israel arrived at letters of, of levels of what I would only call intimacy in their security intelligence relationship that you don't have with other countries. So yes, you can have them at a parallel time. They can be at a professional level. They're going to be limited to specific areas of policies, which for me may be enough. But again, on the impact of what that does outside is something else. We will get along at the professional levels. We will know how to work together. But if there is a presidential decree, not the defense ministry, but a presidential decree that makes that different, I would be worried. I'm not worried about President Biden. I want to be very clear. I'm not worried in that sense about that basic security backing that President Biden stands for, no matter what this new administration is going to do and what the government in Israel will do. There's an understanding there, and I don't see that changing. Mr. Silverman, let me just, one moment. Just to... reinforce something that Miri said. Uh, because Israel has a lot to give to the United States uh, in these domains, uh, there is this reciprocity. It Indeed. is not that Israel is only getting. Indeed. It, it, many of Israel's uh, Iron Dome, Arrow, and, and all those various systems that are very much sought after around the world... Intelligence also, uh, our joint operations and joint uh, projects uh, of the United States and Israel. Uh, but Mr. Silverman, when, when we look from the American side of, of this aisle uh, across the pond, do you see the, the current administration uh, alter its position vis-a-vis -vis Israel's uh, backing, considering also the challenges that it faced and uh, even replenishing its uh, uh, projectiles or interceptors for the Iron Dome, the, the delay that occurred there, which was uh, pretty much unprecedented. Yes, uh, and but let's remember, Jonathan, that in the end, the Congress did approve and the administration did push through. I think it was a $500 million additional uh, supplement to uh, replenish Iron Dome uh, munitions. So I'm going to focus more on the continuity uh, aspects because I think the context here, which you alluded to, Jonathan, is that the U.S. is busy elsewhere. 
the number one U.S. foreign policy issue right now and will remain uh, is Ukraine, Russians' invasion of Ukraine. Uh, that has to be the center part. The number two issue is the most likely uh, managing the relationship with China. Uh, and the Middle East drops into a distant third place. And uh, there is not going to be the appetite, I believe, in the Biden administration to challenge Israel. Um, they are reaching out, as Miri mentioned, in a public diplomacy setting to the Palestinians. And uh, and they've appointed a special representative, as Hadi Amr, to the Palestinian people. That's fine. That's good. Uh, and and in focusing on bettering the conditions for the Palestinian people. I do not think they will succeed uh, because there's no Israeli government, uh, certainly not the Yair Lapid government, but no, and, and, nor the uh, Netanyahu government that will authorize reestablishing the dysfunctional system where in the middle of the capital of Israel, you have a consulate to the Palestinians. So that's not going to happen. Uh, uh, and we'll manage the relationship with uh, on Jerusalem, which there are some tensions on. But just to uh, reply to something Miri said, the 300,000 Palestinian residents in East Jerusalem certainly do have a status. They're permanent residents. They have a pathway to citizenship. I know Palestinians who become Israeli citizens. I know quite a few. Uh, I know Israeli lawyers whose whole job it is is to help the Palestinians apply for citizenship to Israel if they want to become citizens. They have that pathway. It takes time, like everything in the Israeli bureaucracy, but it's existing. And so there, there is a situation in, in Jerusalem that's quite stable, that, um, that it involves Israel's continued undivided control of that city. Closing uh, sentence? Be, pardon? Closing sentence? I, I think let's focus on the continuity. I think let's ignore some of the noise that's going to be there because the Israeli government has elements that are not uh, popular uh, elsewhere in the world, including Washington. But let's focus on the continuity. Colonel Eisen, closing sentence for you. I think that we're looking at the issue of actions, not just words. The words will be in the public diplomacy world, and that's where the gaps are going to grow. Mr. Owen? Uh, regarding the uh, military aspects, uh, which you also raised uh, with our two distinguished analysts, the American government, and this is a continuous policy, as Bob mentioned, has always helped Israel defend itself. This is the Israel Defense Forces. When it comes to offensive actions, be they against Iran or even closer to home, then there will be uh, a much more judicial, judicious approach. Uh, Israel will not have a free hand. Indeed. Well, time will tell uh, how things will truly develop in the near future, and we will continue to observe that matter. Uh, until then, of course, I'd like to thank Mr. Silverman, Colonel Eisen, and Mr. Owen for being part of today's panel. I'd like to thank our viewers as well. And we will see you again next time for yet another episode of Jerusalem Studio. Until then, shalom. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.